Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We're going to continue a series we started last week entitled People Who Push Your What? Your buttons, thank you. That's right, that wasn't a trick question. I appreciate that, yeah. Um, People who push your buttons. These are the people that are the hardest to love in your life. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian today, they're the hardest people to be Christ-like around. They're gonna be the most challenging part of your walk with God is dealing with these people. They're people, we talked about critical people last week, hypocritical people, we're gonna talk about this week, and we're gonna talk about overly needy people that just can't, you can't ever give them enough, you know? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with those kind of people and to show them love? It's a little complicated, but there are answers in scripture, and we're gonna be looking at those. Today, we're gonna look at hypocritical people. Now, as we start this message on hypocritical people, I want to ask you, think back as you were growing up, okay, and I know we've got lots of different people that were growing up in different time, time zones of, uh, of our history, but do, were you ever told this as you were growing up? Do as I say, not as I do. Anybody here remember hearing that at least once growing up? Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, typically it's people that are a little bit older. Evidently that was seen as really good parenting at some point, right? You know, do as I say, not as I do. I want you to just, this is rhetorical, just think about this. How did that make you feel when you were told, do as I say, not as I do? Didn't it kind of feel a little bit like, wait a minute, you're, you're making me do something that you're not even gonna do, right? Even back when you were too young to even know what the word hypocrisy meant, you were feeling like, wait a minute, there's a double standard here. You're, you're holding me to a standard that you're not even willing to hold yourself to. That's frustrating, right? There was this frustration over that, and anybody who said that repeatedly to you, and they were doing things that contradicted what they told you was off limits to you, many times it was probably hard for you to feel very close with them, respect them, have a, a, a good relationship with that person, right? And still, even as Adults today, when you see somebody who says one thing and does another that contradicts that, that we would say that's hypocritical, it doesn't just frustrate you, it repels you, doesn't it? It repulses you. You're like, I got to get away from that. I don't even want to be around that kind of person. It's frustrating to me to even be around them. Let me ask you a, a more maybe controversial question. How many of you know a hypocritical Christian, all right? Or maybe you've heard of one, all right? Hypocritical Christian. Anybody here heard of or know of a hypocritical Christian? Okay, yeah, thank you. Several honest hands going up. I know the rest of you why you didn't raise your hands, because you're sitting next to them, right? (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Yeah, that's an awkward question to answer, but it's true. We've all seen, experienced, we've been around that at some point or another. As a matter of fact, national surveys of our country will tell us the number one complaint about Christians, especially by non-Christians, is they're hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. Now, we're gonna talk about that today because this ironically was something that Jesus accused religious people of in his day as well, okay? We're gonna take a look 
over in Matthew chapter 15, where he's talking to this group of society called the Pharisees. They were the religious elite among the Jewish community. They were as religious as religious people got. There was nobody, as a matter of fact, on the scale of publicly being good, there was nobody gooder than them, right? I know that's not good grammar, but that was true. They were as good as you get. And they were always talking about how good they were. But they came to Jesus one day, and they said, Jesus, you're breaking the rules. And he's like, what are you talking about? He says, your disciples do not wash their hands properly before they eat. And Jesus says, funny, I don't remember my father ever having a command about washing hands. He did, however, have a command about honoring your father and mother. And you people, you Pharisees, have created this uh, tradition, this loophole that is letting a lot of the Jewish people out of the obligation of caring for their aging parents by saying, oh, mom and dad, we would help you. We would care for you. But that money, those resources, we have allocated it to God. So now we can't use it for you. And it was a way of being lazy and keeping your resources for yourself. And he, was, and he says to them, just outright, now think about how much gall it would take to do this in a public setting debating with them chapter 15 verse 7 he said this you let's say it together you hypocrite okay let's say it a little louder as an exclamation point this is jesus so you're just saying jesus's words right you all right thank you a little bolder i like that you hypocrites and if you don't think that took guts when was the last time you pointed at somebody publicly and said you hypocrite right? I'm not recommending you go out and do that today, but I'm just saying that took a lot of guts, a lot of courage. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You talk a good game. Oh my goodness. Nobody's more spiritual in terms of the lingo that comes out of their mouth, but your heart couldn't be further away from God. And that's where you are right now. Let me talk about this word hypocrites. This word hypocrites, our English word hypocrites, comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which is a kind of a compound word that means under a mask. Not under a COVID mask, but under a like Halloween mask, okay? The idea is it's like a stage actor. It's one who is under a disguise that is portraying themselves as someone they really are not. We would say today they're keeping up appearances, they look really good on social media and in public and everything looks great on the outside, but there is some dark underbelly stuff going on in their life that nobody knows about until it either goes public or it's just between them and God, whatever. But there is this hypocrisy going on. And what's interesting is it's more than just one way in public and another way in private. There's this other aspect of hypocrisy that is um, that they're engaging in behavior that they have criticized other people for. And that might be the most irritating part of the whole thing, is that when you feel like somebody is judging you and crit or critiquing you over something they don't even do, oh man, you talk about setting people on fire and making them livid, that will do it, won't it? And this is what was going on. Jesus was saying, you people have all these traditions and customs that you have created. They're all man-made. They're not from God, and you're imposing them on people like they're from God. And you don't even keep them all. You can't even keep the ones that God said to do. 
You're hypocrites, in other words. And what's interesting is that Jesus used this word often. Right in the middle of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which spans over Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, in chapter 6, over half of the chapter, basically, let me sum it up for you. He says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, do not do as the hypocrites do. Like, that's his baseline. He goes back to over and over. Don't be like the hypocrites, the people under a mask that are trying to keep up appearances. They're trying to look good when they give and when they pray and when they fast. They are trying to gain the approval. They're trying to gain the respect of people. They're trying to look good publicly, but their hearts really couldn't care less about God. It's not for God, it's for people. They make it look like they're doing it for God, but deep down, actually, they're putting on a show. It's a really wonderful religious show, but there's actually no real heart for God. Jesus says, don't get caught up in that kind of religion because it's empty, it's dead. It will not keep your soul on fire for God. It will not draw you closer to God. He says, be careful of this. And we have all at times, myself included, fallen into that trap. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. There's another interesting story, account, if you will, in the New Testament of Peter, the Apostle Peter. We talked about Peter last week. That Peter was like the champion that went before the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and convinced them that the Gentile Christians had just as legitimate faith as they did. Remember last week we talked about that? How he went and, and talked about how the Holy Spirit had come to them and they agreed, but it's funny, just this is sort of like human nature. They agreed for a while and then everybody started backsliding into their old ways, and Peter included. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Galatian church, he brings it up. He says, there's this issue that came up with Peter, and I had to confront Peter because Peter was being a hypocrite. Well, what was the issue? Let's take a look together. Chapter 2, starting with verse 11. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, and the city of Antioch had the largest non-Jewish Christian church of the first century. It was where the most Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Christ. So when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. Like he was chummy, he was hanging out with them, he was good friends with them, he was in small group with them, he was, he was like really doing life with them who were not circumcised. In other words, they were not living according to the Jewish customs. You know why? Because they weren't Jews. <laughs> and what they had been taught by the apostles, which is the apostles got it from Jesus, you don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. And that's what many of the early Christians thought, because they all had been Jews before they became Christians. Jesus was a Jew, right? So they thought, well, you just have to take on the Jewish customs, and then you can receive Jesus Christ in faith. And he was clear about, no, that is not what you have to do. But it seems that Peter was, uh, was, was struggling with this. So he says, these, um, so when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterwards, when some friends of James, now James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he, had, he was Jewish, all of his friends were Jewish, and now all of his buddies, his comrades, showed up at the Antioch church, so Peter of course, wanted to look good for P James's friends, and James was a high-ranking um, leader in the New Testament Jerusalem church, 
Here's what happened. Some friends of James came and Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Why not? What had changed? The verse goes on to tell us. Here's what happened. It says, he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. There were still people who insisted on, no, you got to become Jewish before you become Christian. You have to take on all the Jewish Old Testament law and all of the stuff that we couldn't even do, no one was able to do, it was crippling before you can become Christian. He says that's insane. Jesus never said, said that, he never taught that. All you have to do is place faith in Jesus Christ and Romans 10, 9 tells us, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's it, man. You talk about simplifying the process. Jesus made it so easy, swung the door open wide where anybody could come to faith in him. And he says, this is what happened. And now he wouldn't eat with those Jewish believers, or the, uh, the Gentile believers. As a result, the Jewish believers followed Peter's, let's say it together, they followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, another church leader, was led astray by their hypocrisy. And what Paul is showing us here is that people influence people, especially a person like Peter who was a leader. He was an influencer in the church. And he was saying, I had to confront him because he was influencing so many other Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, to do what he was doing, which was wrong. It was sinful. They were saying, well, we can't really associate with those Gentiles because they're second-class citizens in God's kingdom, which was absolutely incorrect. We're better than them. It's a sin of pride. He's saying, no, you cannot live like this. So Paul shows us that there are situations and there are times for every follower of Jesus Christ, every Christian, where we will need to step in at times and confront hypocrisy in other people's lives. Now, this has to be done very carefully, and we're gonna talk about how to do that correctly over these next few minutes. But I wanna give you three prayers to pray as we talk about this process, because this is absolutely a process you and I cannot do in our own power. We can't just say, well, I'm just gonna wing it and hope for the best. That will not go well, I'll tell you right now. You are going to need God's help. You're going to need to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you, give you wisdom, humility, compassion, empathy, kindness, gentleness, patience, mercy, all the things that you need as well from God. You're going to need to be able to give those things. Here's the first prayer I want to invite you to pray when dealing with hypocrisy. God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration. The goal, the objective, is to restore the individual to a right relationship with God. Now, well, we're going to take a look at another verse, same book, Galatians, now chapter 6, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes this, and we're going to unpack as we go. He says, brothers and sisters, so who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to brothers and sisters about how to treat other brothers and sisters, okay? This is not go out and confront other people who are not even Christians and try to hold them accountable to a Christian morality. No place in the New Testament are we told to do that, ever. We are, however, encouraged to hold one another accountable in love, but not to go out to people who have never 
claimed faith in Jesus Christ, who are not walking with God, don't even know him, and, and try to hold them accountable to uh, a life uh, that is committed to Jesus Christ. That would be hypocrisy for them because it's not even true. It's not even accurate with who they are. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit. Now let's stop here. What does that mean, to live by the Spirit? Same book, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 the Apostle Paul unpacks this even further. He says, to live by the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit means that you will produce spiritual fruit in your life. And there's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It doesn't mean you get these right all the time and you're perfect. That is not what it means. It means that you are striving to live that fruit out in your life and if you are, you know, coming up sh woefully short with one of those, that you welcome another brother or sister to come and point that out to you so that you can get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit produce that in you. Because that is God's will. That is his hope. That is his desire for your life to produce that fruit in your life. And he's saying, those of you who are taking it serious of walking by the Spirit of God, just, yeah, so he makes a, a separate category. This isn't just anybody. This is people who are willing to do this. Here's what you should do. You should, let's say it together, should restore that person gently. Now let me, let me define these words real quick. Restore, this is a medical term, to set a fractured bone. To set a fractured bone. Any, any of you here ever broken a bone? Anybody here know what that's about? Okay, some, a few of you out there. I've only done it one time. It was my right arm. Um, some of you may know I've, I have always been into bicycling, and when I was in high school and even part of college, I loved to ride quarter pipes. These, it was about a seven-foot ramp that went that curved radius all the way up to vertical. I do not recommend riding quarter pipes if you don't already do this or you don't recommend your kids do this. It's very dangerous. But me and my brothers would do it, and we loved it. It was so much fun. But I remember one time I came up and got what we call catching air, right? You catch a bunch of air, you came back down, bam, I hit the top of that and fell back down, broke my arm. I had never broken a bone before, and I was like, what is up with my arm? It's on fire, and I can hardly move it. And I just wanted to get back on my bike and ride some more, and I realized there's no getting back on the bike. It hurts too bad. And I realized, I think I may have broken it. And uh, sure enough, I did. Fractured my, my, my elbow, had to have a cast. And the thing about the restoring process is it caused me to treat it gently. I had to put it in a sling. I had to have a cast for a period of time. I had to be really careful with it and don't hit it, don't try to use it, even though I was really tempted to do that. I just wanted the doctor to give me something so I could go back to riding. And that's all I, wanted, all I cared about. But it took time. And this is what is implied here. Paul's talking about this process of you going and talking to someone. It has to be in the right way, and you've got to be patient. You don't set a, a bone and it doesn't grow back in a day. You've got to be patient with them over time. This might be many, many, many conversations. The first time you go talk to them, they may say, I think you're a little crazy, and I don't agree with you, but thanks for stopping by. 
And you might have to have another conversation at another time and just say, look, hey, I love you and, and here's what I wanted to share with you and I think this would be good for you if you did this. And then that next conversation, like, okay, well, maybe, you, maybe I'll think about that. And then the next conversation, they're a little bit more open and a little bit more open, but you have to be consistent and compassionate and loving over and over and over and over again, being gentle in the process. People these days are not real good at doing this. We're really great at coming in and saying, I'm right, you're wrong, my way or the highway, let me tell you how it is. But that's not doing it gently. That's not doing it with compassion. When we come and speak the truth in love, it ought to draw the person closer to us and to God. When we come and speak the truth without love, I promise you, it will push the person further away from us, God, and typically further into their sin. I see it happen all the time. People do this wrong all the time. They don't confront with passion or with compassion. They don't confront with love and kindness. And it pushes people further into their sin. To be reminded, God, help me to speak to this person with the objective of restoration. Here's the second prayer. God, help me to confront with caution, to be so careful like you've got a loaded weapon on the table and somebody could get terribly wounded in this process and every word that's about to come out of your mouth is going to have an impact either good or bad and you have to consider it think about what you're going to say premeditate that conversation and be really careful about what's about to happen because what you're going to say is either going to push them further away or draw them closer to god and the, and the objective should be restoring them to God, not proving to them that you're right, but helping them to be right with God. That's the objective. And we've got to do this so careful. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to look at the second half of that verse now, where Paul says, But watch yourselves, or you also may be, let's say it together, may be tempted, right? You may be tempted. So what are you going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to be condescending. Well, you sinned and I didn't, right? I mean, you blew it and I didn't. I'm here just to help you out. Like you poor, lowly, dirty, filthy sinner. Like I'm here to help correct your wrongs. When we come at someone else with a holier-than-thou attitude, we have sinned too. The sin of pride. It's treating other people like I'm better than you, I'm more important than you, and I am more loved by God than you. All of which is false, wrong, absolutely 100% wrong. Jesus teaches this over and over. It's echoed in the teachings of Paul and Peter and others. It's something that we've got to remember. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he tells us, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't, let's say it together, you don't, you don't fall. When you're all worked up, foaming at the mouth, you're like, oh, I'm gonna go talk to them. I can't wait to confront her or him and their sin. And this is what I want to do. Well, you're all worked up. I wanna just caution you. Pause for a moment and ask yourself, why am I so worked up to go confront them? Nine times out of 10, part of the reason is because part of that sin you see in them that makes you so upset with them is reflected in you. There is some version of that you struggle with too. If you were brutally honest 
And you need to pause and confess that to God. Jesus unpacks this beautifully in Matthew chapter 7. Again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end of that sermon, he tells us, he gives us this beautiful analogy. He says, you ever had a friend where you, you, know, you, you saw there was this like speck in their eye? This is like black. You, you couldn't tell if it was a bug or if it was just a, a piece of dust. or You don't know, but it was gross. It was like, you need to address this with your friend. There's this, this speck in their eye. And he's using this as a metaphor for anything that you feel like you need to go confront in someone else's life. He says, before you go confront them, you need to stop for just a minute, look in the mirror, and deal with the log in your own eye. I, I can't help but think this is Jesus being funny. Can you imagine somebody literally with a log in their eye saying, hey, come here, let me help you with that, that speck in your eye. Come here, because you, so you look so silly with that. Come here, let me help you out. Come here, come here, come here. Oh, and by the way, just, you know, you're going to have to come on this side because the log's here. So, you know, like, <laughs> so, so ridiculous. But Jesus is saying, yeah, that's what you look like to the person you're trying to confront with sin when you haven't confronted the sin in your own life. He's saying, and there's something about that process of you dealing with the sin in your own life, confessing it to God and getting right with God that humbles you, reminds you you don't have it all together. You're not perfect and you're not flawless and they're not, you're not God's gift to other people to confront them. You come with the right heart and this is the beautiful part that Jesus says. And if you're not willing to deal with the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in someone else's eye, you are the very definition of a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. You have become the very thing that irks you, that makes you repulsed, that makes you repel. So watch it. Be careful. Be cautious. And I would say this is really important in all relationships, but maybe the most important in your parenting relationships. Those of you who are parents, who have kids that are going through the adolescent years especially, the teen years, and, and even beyond coming out of the house and moving on to their own, etc. Um, we have seen this time and again. What I'm about to share with you become such an important part of the parenting process, even in our house. And here's, here's what I want to share with you. I, and I love um, illustrations that boil things down and make them simple to understand. But essentially, here's what I want to share with you. That rules minus relationship or the love equals rebellion. Rules that we're trying to impose without a relationship of love will produce rebellion in the hearts of other people. This is all people, not just teenagers, anybody. Nobody wants rules imposed on them if they don't know that you care. You've heard the old adage that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care about your rules if they don't know you care about them. But when people genuinely know, like you sit down and you say, listen, First and foremost, before I say anything else, you have to know I love you. You have to know I am for you. I am on your side. Like it's me and you against the evil of the world. It's not me against you, right? Too many parents feel like that's the issue. Like it's us against the kids and who's gonna win? No, 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 you got it wrong. You gotta let them know and communicate it often. You love them, you're praying for them, you're for them, you're on their side. They need to know that because so many are against them. They need to know mom and dad are for them and love them and care about them and when everybody else is gone and they've all gone their way of whatever's cool and popular and they're all scattered to the wind, mom and dad are still gonna be here because we love you. 
We're for you. And they will eventually see that as you consistently show that to them. But rules that are given with relationship do the opposite of rebellion. It helps people to understand, yes, this is good for me. But you show them, look, you need a guardrail in your life because there is a cliff, sweetheart, and it's going to hurt so bad. And it will, you will be paying for it for years. You'll be paying for it financially and relationally and, and physically. What you're about, to, you need to stop before it's too late. I love you too much to just watch you go off the cliff. I got to say something. But they need to know before they know anything else, you love them. So here's the third prayer. God, help me to confront the hypocrisy, not in them, but in me. God, help me to confront the hypocrisy in me. Let me just confess a time where that has happened to me. Um, A while back, uh, definitely I've had an issue with speeding, right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I accelerate past the speed limit. And I remember... Um, one of the most embarrassing moments, I I think maybe one of the most embarrassing moments that a pastor could have, uh, maybe not the most embarrassing, but one of the most embarrassing, is being pulled over by a police officer who goes to your church, okay? Oh my gosh. And he didn't recognize me until he got right to the window, and it was like, oh my gosh. And he started laughing, and he said, well, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but you need to watch your speed, slow down, and be careful. And I said, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. I felt like such a hypocrite that I got pulled over. I'm wasting his time. It was gut-wrenching. But I tell you that story to say, well, years later now, I feel like I'm doing much better with this. You can ask Leslie if you want to get the, the latest. But um, I feel like I'm doing much, much better with this. I still have to watch it, though. For some reason, my right foot is just a little heavier than my left. It's just, it just wants to go. And so I have to be careful. I have to really be on it and careful. But I tell you the story to say we have all been there, haven't we? All of us have had stuff come out of our mouth. We've done things in front of other people, and we think, why? Oh, my gosh, God, why did I do that? That was so stupid. I'll probably look like such a hypocrite right there. I was awful. I wish I could take it back. I wish I could take back what I said, what I did. We've all had those moments, haven't we? All of us have. And it's funny because in those moments, we have to recognize and let that humble us that we need to bring it before God and ask for his forgiveness. As a matter of fact, going back to Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees, he three times throughout the gospel, he called them blind guides. You know why they were blind? Because they either couldn't see or didn't want to recognize their own hypocrisy in their life. No one would point it out to them and they weren't willing to look at it. And and time and again, Jesus invites us to be open to that. As a matter of fact, there's this beautiful story in the Old Testament, this account of King David. King David, it was uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, a whole myriad of things were wrong in his life. It was during the springtime when all were told all the kings went out to war with their, with their men uh, out on the battlefield, but David stayed at home in the palace, taking it easy. He was where he shouldn't have been, and then he saw what he shouldn't have seen. He was up on the palace top looking down at sunset when he knew. That was the time when the women were up on the roof bathing, and he sees this woman Bathsheba naked, and so he wants a date with her. 
She's a married woman. And then he does what he shouldn't have done. He commits adultery. He gets her pregnant. He has her husband, Uriah, killed to try to cover it up. He thinks, well, okay, this is done. I, I, I was able to get away with it. And then a short time later, God sends a prophet, Nathan, to come visit him. And he says, David, I want to tell you a story about two men. They were neighbors. There was a wealthy man who had many, many lambs. He had lots of land. He was, by all accounts, super wealthy, well off. He had a neighbor who was very poor, had very, very little. He didn't have many lambs. He had one little ewe lamb. And that little ewe lamb was like a family member to he and his children. It ate at his table. It slept in his arms sometimes. They loved that little ewe lamb. Well, one day, that wealthy man had a traveling friend that stopped in and stayed overnight with him, and he wanted to throw a big feast for this guy. But rather than going and getting one of his many, many, many lambs, he went over to his poor neighbor, pushed him out of the way, and took his little ewe lamb and killed it and barbecued it for his, his guest. David, when he heard this, was livid. He was on fire with anger. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, he said this, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, you are the hypocrite. You have treated Uriah worse than this guy treated his neighbor. We all need Nathans in our life. We need people that we have given permission to to say, listen, I love you, but right now, you are being such a hypocrite. You're not living what you say you believe. There is inconsistency. You have one standard you hold out here and a whole different one that you're living by. And it is not good for you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to push people away from you, from God. It's going to push you further into sin. You need to have, we need to have, I need to have, we all need to have Nathans in our life. And I want to challenge you this week that, <clears throat> that you would invite a Nathan, male, female, some friend, Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's a, a girlfriend, a, a, a guy friend that is close, but that would, you would give permission to say, would you just let me know when I'm going off the rails? That would ask me tough questions. You, we all need that, 100%. And, and before though we even do that, I want to just challenge you today, that before God, you would just say, God, would you just reveal the hypocrisy in my own heart right now? The places in my life where I talk a good game, my lips tend to honor God, but my heart is far away from Him. Where we, we talk a good game, we sound really spiritual with our language sometimes, but then we are condescending, we are backbiting, we are gossiping about other people. Women, sometimes it's talking about your husband behind his back to other women in a mocking, condescending way. Men, sometimes we do the same thing about our wives in front of other guys, talking about them behind their back, hurting them. Maybe it's you talk a good game, you sound so spiritual, but when you're alone and you're on the internet, you go places you know you shouldn't. Porn sites and other places that are just 
just absolute degrading to your soul. It pulls you away. It's a wedge between you and God. And when you're with your friends, you know you drink too much. You go too far on your dates. You push it way too far. It's not right. And somebody needs to lovingly say, hey, look, you need to change this. And it needs to start with you, just between you and God even, just to say, God, help me to stop being like this. Help me to, to invite somebody in my life to have the courage and the humility to say, this is true of me. This is what I struggle with. And just to be honest with somebody that will pray for you and encourage you. We all need people like that. But we have to stop living this double standard because you wouldn't want somebody talking about you behind your back, slandering you and mocking you and condescending you and belittling you behind your back, would you? Now, why would you do that to someone else? Help us, God, to stop being hypocrites. I want to encourage you with this prayer today as we close out. Jesus, please forgive me for being hypocritical. I commit to give someone permission to call me out when I can't or I'm unwilling to see it in myself. I commit to confront it, confront it in others, other Christians, in humility, gentleness, and love. When it needs to be confronted, we do it right. And finally, may I know and reflect your love, God. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.